Hello, magical beings. Welcome back or welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm your host. I'm a confidence coach. I'm an instigator of joy. And I help spiritual adventurers remember who they are and why they're here so they can up-level with ease. And I used to do this thing on my Instagram where I would share my inconspicuous awesomeness from, from every single day. And that was the tiny little thing like seeing a beautiful flower or the smell of fresh cut grass, whatever it is that is inconspicuously awesome in your day. And today, well, today's inconspicuous awesomeness was pretty conspicuous for me. It was completely magical. When I was riding my bike, I saw three deer run off in front of me. I was riding through the salt marshes. It was a beautiful blue sky. The image was just well, completely magical. And I'm sharing this with you all because, because I'm still excited about it and I always want to share the magic. But also to ask you, what was the magic in your day? And if you can't think of any for today, then what would happen if you set an intention for tomorrow to find the magic, to note the magic, and to share the magic? Because magic is so much more magical when it is shared. All right, now on to this week's conversation with consciousness consultant, Catherine Greenfield. She is often referred to as a Sherpa of the inner journey. She guides her clients to access and integrate their essential nature as they live into and express the deepest, most beautiful and profound aspects of themselves. As they remove obstacles to living and expressing their truth and accomplish the incredible work they're here to do. Catherine provides her clients keys to unlock doors to their own inner wisdom and innate capacity to heal. She reminds us all that the more we step into a life guided by our innermost self, the more the true nature of reality is revealed to us and with it our own awesome power. That's right, my friends. Always remember that you are so much more powerful than you can possibly understand. It is a way beyond what humans can wrap their head around. Remember that. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are magic. And you are worthy of magic and miracles and light and love. Enjoy this conversation. Please share. Please leave a review on iTunes. And friends, as always, go forth and be awesome. I love you. Catherine, when we were talking a few weeks ago, you told me this beautiful story of your first experience in well with your dreams. Mm-hmm. Can you share that story with us, please? Yeah. So when I was a little girl, I I started dreaming. Um, you could call it dreaming, but really, I remember going out on my front porch and I knew I was dreaming and someone came down on a broomstick and sat next to me on the front porch and told me that she was going to teach me some things. And I was probably five or six and she had a broomstick and we got on the broomstick and we flew up towards the moon. And I remember going back to the porch to meet her um, in the night and and go and and learn things with her. And what I found over time was that 
her form really didn't matter. She could, she could leave her, her body and, and taught me that I wasn't my body either and that we didn't need the broom to fly. We could just move where we needed to go. And I would say that, you know, um, the two things I really remember learning from her at that time were that love is access to the inner planes and that, that um, there is so much about love to be learned inside. And so if I went to sleep at night and I focused on love in my heart, as I went to sleep, then it was more likely than not that I would, I would go into those inner realms and, and then be taught more about love. So that's something that has never changed. You know, as I've taught dream yoga and, and worked with people in the dream space, love is access and, and really healing the heart and, um, and really opening to that tenderness of love um, brings access to so much inner wisdom. Mm. Okay, before we go further, you mentioned dream yoga. What is that? So what I found over my lifetime, because when I was young, I, you know, th- that wasn't, that was my first experience, but, um, but I used to have these fevers and, and then I would be, um, I met different intelligences that would also help me understand, you know, the nature of reality and, and why, uh, you know, my life and my family and why I was here and all of this. And so as I got older, um, into my teen years, I started looking for others that explored realms in this, in when they were asleep. And so there, there were certain native American sayings. Uh, I have some native American um, ancestry. And, and I just remember hearing something that um, when I was very young, that um, was that the dream world is real and this world is an illusion. And I remember that feeling so um, comforting to me to just feel like, okay, there's other people here that know something too about this. <laughs> and, and so then over my life, you know, I was exposed, um, I mean, I, in my teens to, um, to Taoism and to different uh, Buddhist, you know, Tibetan Buddhism. Um, and that's where the dream yoga works come out of. But um, without getting too much into detail, it's this acknowledgement that one's consciousness leaves the physical body and goes into the inner dimensions and learns from elevated beings or higher intelligences. Um, You know, there's many stories of um, Tibetan masters learning from, um, from deities, from beings uh, being taught certain things about, about the sutras. Um, And so that's one word, you know, in the, in, in different traditions, it can be spoken of in different ways, but it might be referred to as, oh, um, you know, my body was asleep, or I knew not if I was in my body or out of my body, you know, um, these kind of ways of referring to the practice of your consciousness leaving the physical body and accessing the higher dimensions, the inner planes, deeper states, you know, however kind of whatever framework you use. Um, but that's that's what it is, and so the dream yoga practices are are around help through this way of staying conscious as the physical body falls asleep, and working with the waking state 
you know, strengthening consciousness in the waking state so that when the physical body falls asleep, one can still be conscious and, and learn. And did this come naturally to you, this ability to like be highly conscious while, while awake so that you could be, the, be conscious while you're sleeping? Well, you know, maybe some of that was natural, you know, when I first, you know, those first memories, um, like I talked about, but I do remember when I was um, probably seven or eight, I was still wetting the bed. And I really didn't like it. But the thing was, is that I would wake up in a bathroom in my bed. And, you know, so, so I said to myself, all right, this has got to stop. When you go to, into a bathroom, you really need to know where you are. Are you in the physical plane or not? And I remember I was in second or third grade. And whenever I would go into the bathroom at the school, I would push on the wall and just make and ask myself, where are you? And the same thing at home. And I, and I became so used to doing that, that then in my dreams, I would wake up pushing through the you know, wall or something or seeing creatures. You know, if I saw like a strange bug or something, I would say, okay, this isn't the physical plane. Um, and so that really helped me because then I realized that was a, just another technique that I could use to um, increase awareness in the astral, but also I think that, um, that over time it's, you know, it's, it's just another, another way of learning about your consciousness on the physical plane too, you know, because when you're really interested to learn about your consciousness in what, what people could call the dream world, the astral or the fifth dimension, but that realm of where the mind and the, the, the mental and emotional bodies operate, um, it, it comes into the physical plane because you, you start um, seeing the way that your consciousness operates through your mind and your, your emotions because that's the realm of the mental body and the emotional body. So you're really learning about your consciousness. Um, and this is why dream yoga was, you know, is taught in these certain higher traditions or it was even kept secret for a long time. But it's, but it's known that it can really accelerate the development of your consciousness on the physical plane because of what you learn about your mind and your emotions and the way that they create reality. Because if you think of the chair, the chair appears. If you really want something and you feel that desire for it, you move towards it. That's the fuel, the energy. So in the fifth dimension, that's the way that it works. But of course, that dimension exists right now with us in the third dimension. So knowing that and then playing around with that as a consciousness, you can see how fun that would be. <laughs> so you, it sounds like you were a super independent kid. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I want to say, I don't really like that term self-starter, but that's what's coming up for me. And you're, yeah. you're like kind of managing your own education, mm-hmm. your own consciousness education right. as this little girl what was that like? Did you, did you talk to anyone about it? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I grew up in Portland, Oregon, at least until I was 11. And it's a pretty open type of community in this way, I guess. Um, but what I did learn was that if I asked people, do you remember your dreams? That was kind of a way of me assessing, you know, if people were seeing what I was. And, um, and if they would say, oh, no, you know, or 
it, it would be kind of an opener, but, but I did have a group of friends that I would say there was an openness to perceiving and interacting with energy and knowing that the physical world wasn't all that was real. I mean, if anything, it's so beautiful, the nature of, of Portland with the trees and the mountains and a lot of growing up as a child there, you're in, you're outside in nature. And, and that has an energy about it that I, I don't, I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter who you are, you're, you feel into that, right? That, and the rivers and, and all of that. Um, but I would say this, that it wasn't until, I mean, certainly by the time I was in my teens, I was very interested. Um, I mean, probably when I was around 12, my grandmother gave me a, an I Ching workbook and the Tao the Tao Te Ching, and I think some runes. And so then within a few years, I was really starting to look into Zen and Buddhism and, and Christianity, mystical Christianity, mystical Judaism, Sufism, you know, really just scanning um, to see what others knew. I mean, I, I guess you could say that from a very early age, I had this inner quest to really understand um, the psyche. And and because I was so self-taught, um, or you could say that I, I, I studied with wise masters <laughs> internally, I was somewhat wary of, of what, was, what was on the physical plane, because it was kind of all mixed up, right? There's definitely wisdom and truth, and there's also a lot of other stuff and, and misguidedness. And, and, you know, and with compassion, I say that you know, that, that inner self-reliance was, you know, where I always went back to, to, to verify and, and see and, um, and to guide me. And, and, you know, it's funny, but I mean, things changed later in my life, but up until that, a certain point, I remember being in college and I was going to get some films to go to, I was going to go study abroad in, in Lyon, in France. And there was this film student there, and he said, I see what you see. Do you want to go have tea? And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, what does he see? You know? And we went and had tea, and we talked all about how we'd always seen things and known things. And, um, and, and I never saw him again. Um, but... It was my first glimpse that, okay, there's other people on the physical plane that, that see stuff, you know. But at that point, I really wasn't sure how that was all going to play out. And then, of course, later on, I mean, now it's a whole different ballgame. But, <laughs> but I had to go through that period. I think this was part of my training. You know, different people grow up. Some people grow up in spiritual communities. Um, I'm good friends with a Lama who he joined the monastery in Tibet when he was 13. And you know, and he had really wonderful teachers on the physical plane. You know, that just wasn't my path that, you know, but I feel like it's made me who I am now because I, I was so eager to learn in terms Wait, you say that wasn't your path and yet your grandmother gave you an, an I Ching workbook when you were like 12? Like that's, that's, well, that's not... American kind of, I mean, definitely that side of the family, there was just an acknowledgement of spirit. Okay. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, she and I, we would philosophize. I mean, I definitely there's a philosophical aspect to my family. Um, but I would, you know, I didn't have the kind of deeply awakened master initiate type of 
mentor on the physical plane. That's what I'm getting at. I don't know who, how many people do, but, <laughs> but that's maybe what I was kind of, um, kind of waiting for maybe, or hoping for that, you know, to know someone on the physical plane that had and embodied that type of wisdom, you know, probably as a child, I really longed for that. Did you ever end up finding that person? No. Why do you think that is? Because it's been my path to become that person for others. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. And I've met amazing souls now, you know, and I would say it's more of an alliance. It's more of a partnership now. My clients and my, my, my friends, you know, my inner circle, it's, um, it's such a, a giving and receiving in, in this magical way. And, and I do feel like always being forced to go inside in the most challenging times and, and for the deepest learnings that I needed to understand on my path. I mean, ultimately that's what we all want. I mean, that's what we all need to do, right? Is to go into our own innermost and to follow the path through our heart to our greatest self and express that into the world. So, you know, that's the training that I was provided, I guess, you know. Yeah, well, the rest of us are sleeping. Well, you're sleeping and working and learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. I just think that's so cool. We, early on in when we met, we learned that we kind of do the same thing. We help people remember who they are and why they're here. Mm -hmm. And I do my work in the daytime and you do your work in the night. <laughs> I do a lot of work in the day too. <laughs> <laughs> so does everyone that you work with remember their dreams? No. And this is, you know, what I've come to find is that dreams are I mean, there's a few different things about dreams and, and working in, in that realm. One is that at a certain level, there, it's a type of intuitive knowledge, you know, so different ways that people tune in to receive intuitive wisdom or to access their own, you know, answers to their own questions, you know, different people have different ways of doing that, you know, um, and it could be walking in nature, it could be meditating, it could be running, you know, there's different ways and dreams are something that for some people it's more natural um you know they're vivid dreamers they'll say they're vivid dreamers or they they know that they receive messages in their dreams about either their own psychology and, and the blocks and kind of stuff that they're working through the subconscious elements and then the other side of, of really receiving uh you know divine wisdom or you know however you want to um conceive of of that space of tapping into something greater than your mind and all of that and, and connecting in that way. But I do find that once we start talking about it and, and, and exploring what's possible there, that people do start remembering their dreams a lot more. Uh, and, and depending upon the person, you know, there's different ways to go with that. Um, and there's different ways of working with those planes even in the waking state and so making making those spaces more real uh, in the waking state so that one will more naturally access them 
when one's asleep. Can you say more about that? What do you mean? Yeah, just say more, please. Mm -hmm. Well, so for example, well, so all of the all of the dimensions and planes exist right now, even though we're in the physical plane and our attention is focused in being on the physical plane. All of the other dimensions are here now, and and everything that's in them is here now too. But we're normally not perceiving it or aware that are working with those energies or receiving those energies. But when we when we bring into our awareness intentionally, you could say it's. I mean, it's related to belief, but it's, it's related to um, also consciously tuning into what exists in, in, that, um, in that realm and bringing it forth into your current reality. So what does that look like? So, so it could, I mean, I guess in a very... Um, practical way. It could be that you create a space that you work with in meditation around a certain um, idea, something that you're working on. So let's say it's even a work project and you create a space where you go in meditation, like an office or a library, where you receive information. You could even invite some, someone to come and, and, and meet you there and you can talk and you can work through a project. And then you could go there in meditation to continue to receive information. Let's say you're writing a book and you want to go there and you want to work on that. Then you can also say when you go to sleep at night, okay, I want to go there tonight. When I, you know, I'm going to sleep right now. I want to go there. I want to continue to work on this book and I want to know what I need to write in this book or what's keeping me back from completing it or who do I need to communicate with in order to complete this book. And then you can have actual dream experiences where those questions are answered. Then are those people like, do they need to sleep with a, uh, like a pen and pad of paper near their bed so they can like wake up and quickly jot it down? Or is that stuff, does it stay with you? Oh yeah, it will stay with you. I mean, I think that this is something that's so fluid and is really something that people can incorporate in their lives and in a really natural way. So just as you're going to sleep at night, if you, if there's anything that you wanted to focus on to receive information about anything in your life, then asking and, you know, being willing to receive that information is enough. And, you know, I would say that really, I mean, I mean, if you're not a big dreamer and you remember dreams like that, it's going to be pretty impactful. You know, if once people are really receiving a lot of information through their dreams, they, they have so many dreams, they don't even want to write them all down. And then I just suggest a recorder so that if you wake up and there's little bits that you that are really important, you can put them in the recorder and go back to sleep. Um, but things can start happening so quickly when you're when you're really working in that way that, you know, it's not critical to write everything down. Mm hmm. And just back to when I asked about people who don't really remember their dreams, I remember months ago, you told me, yeah, some people say when, as soon as I mention 
something about dreaming that they start remembering dreams. And that happened to me. (laughs) You mentioned, you said that. And then for like three months, I was remembering every one of my dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I've had that people message me and say, you know, I haven't remembered my dreams in three years. And now I'm, I'm remembering my dreams. And I even woke up in a dream. And that was within a few days of, of talking with me. So I, you know, I, I mean, it, it points to the whole element of how powerful belief is. And, mm-hmm. and in our culture, so many people have written off dreams as being not important or even really scary. I think some people, whether they used to have nightmares when they were young and they, don't want to, they didn't want to remember their dreams anymore, or people, a lot of people have told me that they would have um, premonitory dreams when they were young or they would share their dreams with their family and then the family reacted very poorly to it. And so people have different kind of, you know, relationships with, with that. And so in one way or another, they shut it off and they said, you know, that's something that I don't want to do. And so really just taking the invitation to say, there's something there and I don't fully understand it, but there's something there and I want to know because the more we want to know, the more will be shown. And this is something that, you know, the universe or God or however you want to call it is, is very compassionate and will not show you what you don't want to be shown, what you're not ready to see, right? So it's this very, um, you know, the deeper longing and impassioned uh, kind of pleading that one has um, in that space for knowledge, the more will be revealed. So the universe will not show you something you're not ready to see. So we don't need to be scared to go to sleep. Yeah, I mean, even if you're shown something that, that you're thinking, I'm not ready to see this, this is so intense, there's a reason you're being shown it. It's an opportunity for you to step into it. Even, mm. if, you know, sometimes, you know, people might be shown things about their marriage. So let's say someone has a dream and they, it's clear from the dream to them that their marriage is over. And they're, but they're not ready. You know, part of them is saying, I'm not ready to see this, but there's another part of them that knows it's true. And so then it's that, that kind of assimilation, recognition, clearing kind of process, whatever. You know, I mean, sometimes people are shown things like that in dreams to start that process for them. It's a natural unfoldment of what's happening, but it's, it's, it's um, a way of helping them transition through that process. Hmm. And you... What's, well, do you help people analyze their dreams, understand their dreams? Well, you know, I really feel like everyone's answers are within them. And another um, phrase that's coming to my mind is, is, you know, knowing when to give the medicine and how much medicine to give. Really, that's, that's all orchestrated within inside of you. And so my approach to the dreams isn't so much to tell people what I think it means, but to help them find the answers within themselves. Mm. There are universal symbols, of course, but really what's being shown and what needs to be understood is within that person. So my work is to help guide them to, to find those answers within themselves. And if, if something's truly perplexing, to continue to ask so that it's revealed to them. Mm. That permission to ask 
and, and knowledge that we can ask that can be really powerful. Mm, Cause yeah. I think we can feel like, okay, I was just shown all this stuff and I don't, I don't have any idea what to do with any of it. Mm-hmm. But you're just saying like, ask. It's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Go deeper. Because really what's interesting is that someone in that state, if they sat with themselves, they would, it would, it would, it would be almost like the emotional reaction would settle down a bit and they would start to see within themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to admit this to myself. Maybe I didn't want to see this. It's, you know, this is the shadow work. This is illuminating those bits. They're being called to see what they weren't seeing before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, if they sit with themselves and, and, and allow themselves to be really honest, then often that will come forth. I mean, sometimes there truly are mysteries that, that we have to live through bits of that. You know, you give an information and you know certain parts and other parts you know will be revealed later. And that's part of, part of it all. Is that the fun part for you? <laughs> that's one of the fun parts. I do love that part. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it is true. It's, I mean, there's things that can be said and there's things that can't be said and there's things we know and there's things that we don't know until later. And that's, and it needs to be that way, you know, for, for, for different reasons, um, you know, and for our own learning. So, all right. We talked about you as a little girl and then through your teens, but you didn't go right into this work, did you? like right after college. Oh, right. No, I didn't. <laughs> What'd you do? Yeah, I went, well, you know, after college, I went to Paris and I volunteered in a yoga center ashram and I took the LSAT and decided to apply to law school. And so I came back to the States and I did that. Um, and, and I practiced law for about 15 years Wait, what drew you to law? Well, I always had this deeply philosophical way about me. And I also really loved international relations. I mean, I came at it from this kind of interest in, in diplomacy and really the psychology of humanity from a nation state level. So I was drawn to international law. And from a theoretical standpoint, I, that made total sense. Once I got to law school and I got to a law firm, like, well, this is, you know, now I'm around a bunch of lawyers and I grew up as a musician. So I was, you know, I had grown up in a much more um, kind of creative, um, expressive environment, right? And now I was in a very structured corporate law. And I went to a, um, a law school that, you know, a competitive law school. So I was thrust into this very, you know, you've got to be an act a certain way. And that's the way it is. And, and that was interesting, you know, again, from a psychological standpoint, I mean, you know, seeing the way that people operate within that world, but I never, I never really felt like I belonged in it. Um, but that kind of corporate training has given me a lot of knowledge, right? I mean, it's, it's given me the capacity to to work with the you know the type of clients I have now and to and to do the work I do to understand the world in that way I wouldn't have understood it if I had stuck with music or comparative literature which I was considering at the time um, 
you know, to be out in the world in this kind of corporate way. I mean, certainly there is, there's a lot of, of growth and, you know, and learning and, and I've made so many friends along the way. And, you know, and so it, it was, it was a wonderful experience in some ways. Right. But there's also this feeling like I, there's definitely something else that I'm here to do. And so then, you know, I started doing the dream yoga meditation, you know, teaching that stuff on the side just for free for so, so long. <laughs> so, you know, um, having meetups like conference calls, I would, you know, when, when I was near LA and then when I was back near Washington, always doing that stuff on the side. And then many years ago, then started thinking this, I need to stop making my money through law and doing what I love for free and find a way to reconcile this whole, um, you know, guiding people internally or, you know, spiritual work with, you know, making money. And, and so fortunately I went through that process and, and now I can do what I love. And, and um, yeah. I love the way you just said that I need to stop making my money through law. It's not, I need to stop being a lawyer and I need to get paid for my, what I love. It was, and to stop making money through law. Mm-hmm. and receive money for what your your true work in the world mm-hmm. yeah was that challenging for you to receive money for your your work the stuff that came so easily to you well you know I would say the biggest challenge was that I I always worked hard and you know I was I was quite a rebellious teen and I was kicked out in high school and I supported myself a bit. And from that time, I always, I've always just worked hard and taken care of myself. And it, and it was easy, you know, that there was a part of me that felt like, well, it's easy to be a lawyer. I just show up and I, and I do this kind of mindless work at the end. It felt like, um, but it was totally unfulfilling. And so this transition in my mind of feeling like, I could actually live and do what I love in the world and be paid for that. And I don't have, to, I no longer have to serve this way of working hard to make a living. Mm-hmm. That's really what it was. And, and it wasn't even hard work, I would say. I mean, in my life, it, it, was, it, was, it was just unfulfilling work. You know, you show up at whatever time and you work a 10 hour day and you leave and it's, you know, I mean, and there's a lot of harder jobs out there to be sure. It was just, it's just, um, it was what I did to make my living and it didn't make any sense to me. You know, it didn't, it, it, it's not what I, I you know, to, to live the rest of my life that way just wasn't a possibility for me anymore. So I felt like something's got to change. And so... So I just started looking, you know, there were so many people that valued what I was giving them. And it was really me just saying, because I even didn't like to ask for the donations. You know, even if I paid for space or whatever, I was just like, oh, there's donations over there. you know. Blah. But it was really, even that was, you know, so really it was me stepping into it and saying, hey, I love that you love what I'm bringing. I love this conversation too. What if you paid for it? You know, <laughs> And that's what, you know, then, then people are like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, I have other people that would pay for this, too. 
And so it was really just allowing myself to be, to really own that and really say yes. And, and now it's taking me to Europe, which is, you know, my greatest dream to go back to Europe and have clients over there. And it's totally a dream come true. So, okay. I got a bunch of questions. First, I guess, like, what is it about Europe that you love so much? Well, you know, I grew up in a, in a international type of environment. Um, I would say, I, you know, my dad's closest friends were from India and Germany and Holland. And I was always around, you know, being in DC, you're around a lot of kind of a global environment. So that was always in my field, right? And then, and then I studied um, international relations and comparative literature and international law. So that was just always something so natural to me. And then I just felt at home in Europe. I went on a tour with my piano teacher in high school and to a bunch of countries. And every time I went back, it just felt in a certain way like home, you know? And, and then I lived in France a couple of times and, and being there was very similar to Oregon um, in some ways, the land. And, and so I can't say anything other than, you know, it's just... I've always enjoyed being there. And then each time I've lived there, I've made really good friends. And so over time, just developed a community over there. And then funny enough, when my business started, uh, I started getting client, a lot of clients in the UK and London area. And as that developed, I thought this is very interesting and synchronistic because this has been, of course, what, what I've always envisioned. But I remember even as a child, um, I, would, I wrote a song about tra- moving abroad. <laughs> you know, when I was like eight, you know. Um, so it's just part of me. <laughs> Again, I feel like you were such a wise child. All right. I want to switch. I want to pivot a bit. Okay. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? The scariest thing I've ever done? Um, Man, that is so hard. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get it wrong, though. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, I can't pinpoint one, one particular event, but I would say confronting people who are, who are wronging me. <laughs> you know, really standing in... Um, in that courage to really um, speak my truth and to stand up for, for myself or others. I mean, I remember this with one of my brothers when he was young. You know, I think there's that initial front of, wow, are you really going to do this? And then this knowing that, yes, you're doing this now. Mm. I uh-huh. love that. I love that answer. So you have done all this work in consciousness You've talked to people about consciousness. You've left your job as a lawyer. You've lived abroad. Those are all like kind of superficial things. Uh, superficial, really meaning surface level things that would, <laughs> would terrify people. Oh. And then stepping into and holding, holding onto your truth. That is scary. Yeah, I mean, I've had the experience of of having to deal with some incredibly powerful, 
toxic people in my life. So the range there, I guess, is, you know, is, um, you know, there's an element of that there. Um, and that's part of the training too, you know, um, people are often referred to me for issues with psychic self-defense and this kind of, you know, all that goes on with that in, um, as one becomes more aware consciously of, of different energies and what and how they work and, and what that means. And, and so I feel like having give, been given the opportunity to handle toxic people, it's, it's given me deep, deep training. Mm. It's funny because it's, it's making me think to um, something at my first law firm that was, you know, you have, well, we had one of these lawyers that you hear about that is like the screaming partner that everybody's terrified of working with. And he yells at everybody and all this. Well, we had that one, but, but I was the only one that could work with him. And it was like, I'm a toxic person whisperer. Like there wasn't that charge, but I mean, it, there's way too much to get into on this subject here, but, um, but there's, yeah, I mean, that, the whole realm of, of, um, of, you know, managing that kind of energy that's around us, you know, there's a lot, a lot there. And, and some people, they don't come into that, you know, they, they haven't had those kind of um, people come into their lives and that's, you know, and that's good for them. But, you know, for those who, who have to handle those things or marriages and, and, and whatnot, you know, it's a very real thing. Yeah. Do you feel like that's your superpower being a toxic person whisperer? I wouldn't say a superpower, but I would say it is a uh, psychic self-defense is one of my masteries. Mm. It's something that I've, that I was called to master and now I can help others with that. And, and there's a reason for that. And do you feel like you've been training towards that mastery for your whole life? Yes. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a, in a pretty toxic environment too. I mean, I was, I was on my own. I mean, that's probably why I, I preferred being on my own with my music and, and all of that. Yeah. So you, I mean, you chose to, to live in this environment where you would start your training early. Yeah. Exactly. So you could help others. Yeah, and you know, really, when I look back at the early days of that and seeing so much unlovedness around me, you know, and, and, and anger and sadness and cruelty in humanity, that really pushed me inward too to say, I mean, it's no mistake that my first learnings in the inner planes were around love because one of my biggest questions was why, where is the love inside of humanity? You know, where why have they forgotten love? Mm. And that's the thing, love is inside of us. But people, in forgetting our true nature, forget the power of love. I'm just sitting with that for a moment. That was so beautifully said. And is that what you're talking about as a little girl? realizing that when you went to bed with love in your heart that you would go into what you'd you'd find your teacher again that i would connect with truth mm. um and all that that is i mean that that one could say you know that's 
Brahma or the mind of God or the universe or the void or creative intelligence, the divine, great spirit, whatever it is, but that inner quest to merge with love and to become saturated in that, that's, that love or bliss or ecstasy is this emotional quality of that wisdom or that, that intelligence, that energy of our, our real nature, right? So connecting with the emotional quality of it draws us into it. And so love really is self-generated and bliss and ecstasy, it's self-generated. And in that generation, it opens and unlocks pathways into the absolute, right? Into everything that anyone would ever want to know and everything that anyone would ever want to feel. <laughs> so if you were to, if you were to distill your message into, well, enough that could fit on a billboard, what would you say? Connect with your innermost truth and express it in the world. Bring it to the world. Mm. Know yourself and bring it forth. Yes. In all your beauty, in all your, all your goodness. Mm. Yes, please. <laughs> I feel like that's a good place to wrap this up. Okay, great. So how can people learn more about you? How can people find you on social media, website, all the places, all the things? Yeah, so Instagram, I'm at The Illuminated Imagination, and my website is my full name, Catherine Greenfield. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, so those would, be, those would be the ways. Awesome. Thank you so much, Catherine. You are such a gift. Thank you so much, Kelsey. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.